My fellow plebs, River is setting a new standard in Bitcoin. At river.com, you'll pay zero fees when you dollar cost average. Truly the best way to build your Bitcoin wallet. All Bitcoin at River is held in secure cold storage with 100% full reserves. There's no need to wonder what's happening behind the scenes. Your Bitcoin is your Bitcoin to withdraw at any time. Additionally, River lets you make Bitcoin payments via the Lightning Network, offers a Lightning integration for developers, and allows you to mine Bitcoin directly to your River account. River has a level of service that is unheard of in this industry, including phone support, private client advisors, and the ability to designate beneficiaries to inherit your Bitcoin wealth. River has become the premium name in Bitcoin that anyone can easily access. Sure, you have a place to buy Bitcoin, but have you tried River? See and feel the difference at river.com and the River iOS app, the preferred partner of Bitcoin Magazine. My fellow plebs, today's podcast is also brought to you by Moon Mortgage. As the world moves increasingly towards the mainstream adoption of Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage makes it possible to materialize your assets into real estate. Through the collateralization of mortgages with Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will be launching lending solutions to allow investors to easily leverage their assets to purchase investments in owner-occupied property. Moon Mortgage's crypto mortgage will be launching soon for home buyers in Texas, Florida, and Colorado, and will also be open to investors in most states across the U.S. for investment properties. Welcome to the future of mortgages. Visit moonmortgage.com today to register and learn more. Moon Mortgage Residential is registered with the NMLS under number 235334. What is up, everybody? We are back with another episode of FedWatch. My name is Ansel Lindner. I am here with my co-host, CK. How are you doing, CK? Doing good. Happy to be here. Excited to be calling in from Bitcoin Magazine HQ here in Nashville, Tennessee. How you doing, uh, my man? Oh, good, good. We got a lot to talk about today. We got some big topics. One of the kind of bedrocks of this show is the inflation deflation debate and we have a big update to talk about on that one credit creation in the u.s and globally is tanking we're going to talk about that we're also going to talk about a cbdc uh, the an update out of the uk they seem to be in love with cbdc's just like the ecb so we're going to go through what's going on over there and uh, we, of course, are going to be talking about Bitcoin. We're going to be leading it off with a little discussion here about Bitcoin, maybe get our thoughts on ordinals and stuff like that. So if guys, if you're watching and this sounds like something you're interested in, make sure you like and subscribe to the channel, share it with a friend. Word of mouth is the best way to grow the show. So appreciate you guys all for tuning in. CK, um, what, do you have anything to talk about before we get started? Yeah, I mean, a little bit of housekeeping by the new Bitcoin magazine, the broke issue. We call out the media. We call out Sam Bankman fraud on the cover. <laughs> Come to the Bitcoin conference, Bitcoin 2023. We just announced an amazing panel with Sailor and Bill Miller. I think that's going to be Bill Miller, the son, not, not senior. It's going to be a great panel and we're going to be dripping out a lot of these exciting conversations as the weeks come. Ticket prices go up tomorrow. So use promo code BMLive, get 10% off, come to the event. It's going to be a can't miss event once again. I'm not going to go too much on about it. It's going to be amazing. So keep an eye out for everything we're doing with the Bitcoin conference. Excited to get into all these topics. 
you know, you hate to see all these governments LARPing into and talking about CBDCs. But when you go to think about the UK, they just lost their queen on the cover of their of their money. And, you know, they got to they got to prop up their their new shit coin. And, you know, they got to I don't think that the new king's face is, you know, creates the same same feeling, the same warm fuzzies that maybe the the late great queen gave to to the English people. So they, they're they scrapping for something, man. And and I think it's, it's it, you know, Bitcoin is smelling the the blood in the water. I'm, I'm excited for what comes next. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. But yeah, they I mean, they're going down the same path as the ECB and other central banks that we've seen. And yeah, we're going to cover this from the UK. But you know, there there was also an update on CBDCs from the United States. And uh, I, I covered it on my show. So I do a live stream with Bitcoin and it, markets. It's the path of desperation, the ECB, the Bank of England, things are not looking good. If you if you see CBDCs yeah. everywhere, you know, that just reeks desperation. Things are falling apart. Well, it's almost the closer they are to Davos, you know, the, and the global globalists, the more into CBDCs they are. I did cover something else on my live stream of uh, the Digital Dollar Project. So there's an NGO in the United States trying to push this. And a lot of people are out there thinking it's coming to the United States. But so far, you know, the Fed has been the most responsible of the central banks that ha they haven't really pursued a CBDC. But anyway, we're going to talk about that. I want Before we get started, I wanted to plug a new service that I'm offering on my website, BitcoinAndMarkets.com. It is called Premium Market Pro. So I'm doing all of my TA and my fundamental analysis, macro, geopolitics, all these things that I wrap into price predictions and I'm putting them out as Premium Market Pro tier. So if you go on the first month, you can sign up for 50% off bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash pro 50. So hope to see you guys over there. All right, let's, should we jump into the charts or should we talk about ordinals first real quick? Cause that's like the biggest topic out there in Bitcoin right now. I think it's a big deal. You know, really what, what I'm kind of getting, at least in my senses is like the early days of the internet, people used it for really dumb stuff, you know, yeah. memes, stupid website, porn, whatever. But like that wasn't the end trajectory. That wasn't the end, you know, a possibility that, you know, early internet presented. So I, I really do think that that this is of the same essence. So yeah, people are using it for upgraded NFTs. You know, these are better than what's on ETH because of specific properties. But on top of that, I just, I think that the specific use case of using this witness data for immutable um, information I think there, there's going to be something there. This is just the tip of the iceberg. So I think it's a big deal. I'm, I'm personal friends with Casey Rodimore, the guy who created this. Yeah. You know, I've been on his podcast, the Hell Money podcast. He's in Nashville right now, and we're going to be getting lunch later today. So we'll definitely be, be chatting more with him. But yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be, I think, I think, you know, everything that happens to Bitcoin permissionlessly is good for Bitcoin ultimately in the yeah. end. So that's my basic heuristic there. I mean, curious what you think, Ansel. Yeah, I, I really didn't care too much about this debate, and then it became all-encompassing. And it really reminded me a little bit of the kind of buildup into the scaling debate. So, And people are talking about hard forking and soft forking to stop this type of thing. Overall, I'm not concerned about it really in the least. Bitcoin has had spam attacks in the past. The incentives are created. They, you know, they're self-balancing incentives there. So I'm not, not worried in that respect. I also saw a tweet saying, Hey, you know, Bitcoin has this is it's under attack. It's been exploited. 
this is not the purpose that it was invented for. And I was like, well, you know, I mean, Satoshi included something in the first Genesis block. He also called it a time chain and he envisioned poker on chain. So it's not like Bitcoin, even from the very beginning, Bitcoin was ever envisioned as being solely used for a monetary network. So I, I don't think any of this is, I mean, it's an attack being a spam attack, but it's not anything that Bitcoin can't handle. That's, that's my takeaway. I would love to hear what, you know, you and Casey talk about. I'd love to be a fly on the wall during that lunch. Yeah. Should we, should we put you on speakerphone? Get, get, get you in on it. We'll, I'll ask him. Yeah. I mean, Hey, again, my, my heuristic here is like, I'm not, the, I don't know what is good for Bitcoin, but I think no one knows, right? The whole point of Bitcoin is we have consensus rules. If you follow the rules, you can make transactions. Yeah. Those that happens permissionlessly and innovation that happens within the rules, you know, are valid. That's what Bitcoin does. So I have to be open-minded to what emerges from that. And I think we're at the, again, like, let's just not even talk about inscriptions and ordinals. We're at the tip of the iceberg. And guess what? If this is what takes Bitcoin down, then Bitcoin wasn't yeah. what we thought it was. So, you know, when people are talking about hard forks, people talking about soft forks, what make, you know, at least when the people talking about hard forks, what makes you different than Bcasher? And the Segwit 2Xer, you know, we must... Bitcoin needs to be what we intended it to be. You know, it must be this. What you know, I think it, is. it must be. Yeah. yeah, it must be, you know, eCash on the base layer. It must have this much throughput. Just like, no, Bitcoin is what it is, you know. <laughs> well, let, let's take this to the value discussion. So do you think that, yeah, it's good for Bitcoin long term, but is it like immediately, is this a value proposition for Bitcoin? Is, are these inscriptions slash NFTs on Bitcoin going to accrue value away from, you know, the scam sector? I don't know. I mean, I think that there's going to be utility. Like I think Matt O'Dell took a screenshot of someone who's in the gun printing industry talking about, Hey, this is, we need to inscribe, you know, the CAD files to print this stuff out on the Bitcoin blockchain. I think that there, there could be stuff built off of what is inscribed on the Bitcoin blockchain. Right. And yep. I, I just think it is very early. So I don't know exactly what comes of this. Right. I don't know what, what is next. Maybe these things can have value. My personal view is that, you know, the world is going to be repriced in stats. So in the medium and short term before, you know, we're kind of operating on a world repriced in stats, that value can definitely be illogical. So, you know, no one's here saying that the world operates in a logical manner. Just reality kind of forces, you know, Reality forces reality, you know, upon all of us over time. So, yeah, I don't know. Again, what what do you think about that? This idea of like, okay, hey, you know, a sat with a specific amount of information makes it special and it can have extra value. Well, I think it is immediately going to be good for the price and it's going to be good for mine. It's going to actually strengthen the network like immediately. And so I think that's a good thing. And also it will make it harder for the scams on the outside of Bitcoin to get market share, to, to do as much damage as they have done. So I think that is also a bonus and it probably will happen pretty darn quickly. I also saw a tweet where somebody, it was, it was like two ETH people and they were talking about NFTs on Bitcoin and that the first, like one, 
I guess one NFT or something on Bitcoin sold for 9.5 Bitcoins and dot ETH person responded and said, oh, you mean you bought one sat for 9.5 Bitcoins? Like just destroying the whole argument of, of NFTs. Like why are NFTs even on a blockchain, right? And so I think that this also opens up this opportunity to discuss about nfts and a discuss about the different types of what this technology really is good for so yeah so i think that's yeah that's positive absolutely i want to point out like a, a trend okay that i was not here for pre-20 i was not here before 2017 but during that narrative there was like two kind of like social narrative attacks against bitcoin one is was the beginning of this like smart contract stuff the other one was like the payments attack vector right and yeah. what comes out of 2017? The Lightning Network. Bitcoin absorbed the payments technology narrative and technology and capabilities. Yeah. 2021, you know, DeFi, NFTs, there's several of these different kind of narratives that are out there. What comes out of the other end of 20 of, of 2021, 2022? Well, now we have Bitcoin social media, Noster, and we have the ability to inscribe additional data and to and to you know make a, an a, a NFT 2.0 an inscription onto a Bitcoin Sat. You know one of the reasons these things are better is because an NFT in other chains a lot of times it points to a link for somewhere else. Yeah, the actual image is not there. So what's happening with an inscription is that you take the data, you are hashing it. Or sorry, you're not hashing it. You're you're turning it into a hex format. And then you're putting that into the witness data. So that information is on chain. That's why it's useful for someone who wants to store and make publicly available the CAD files to a 3D printed gun. You know, maybe it could be useful for, you know, putting a, a really important book like The Sovereign Individual, you know, on the blockchain, right? So like that's that's a complete different situation than, you know, having a smart contract that points to a link somewhere on Ethereum. So I, I do think that, Regardless, like it, it's interesting. We are absorbing, we absorbing the best narratives, the best features, the things that have the most market share every single cycle. So this idea that Bitcoin is going to continue to upgrade itself based on what the market is doing is true. Like it's been proving itself over the past few cycles. Yeah, but that that example is not an NFT. And I think that it is good to put it in the witness data if you want it to be duplicated. Because then it goes and gets duplicated on all nodes and it's accessible to everybody. So it's by definition fungible with all the other copies. So I think, yeah, but this is an example of why we need to have this conversation because, you know, people, I mean, we, yeah, humans are just learning how to ad adapt to this technology. And so very, very interesting stuff, but I what, don't want what is to it? Go ahead. Sorry, what, and I know this is a macro show, but what is it that you say on your show that you say, like, is it technology that impacts culture or is it culture that impacts technology? Like, which is yeah. which is primary? I guess like, you word it better. Why don't you take it away? Explain that concept. Yeah, so this you're talking about the episode from, I think, about like last week or something. And the question was, yeah, does technology um, form culture or does culture form technology. And I, I see technology as being a subset of culture. Culture is formed by geography. It's formed by climate. It's formed by all sorts of other things like access to resources or the, the natural occurrence of resources and different abundance of different resources in your geographic location and what that creates for a culture. But also that 
different cultures will be amenable to different technologies. So some like, for example, you know, this, this is from history, a step culture, you know, from the Asian step where they were, it's not any coincidence that they also invented the stirrup, right? Because they had, they were, they were a horse driven culture. And so stirrup was extremely relevant to them and they adopted it very, very quickly. But like the Inuit in Alaska or whatever, they never adopted the stirrup because it is not part of their culture. So yeah, we, we have the same things today that culture is going to drive adoption of technology depending on where you are. And some cultures will be different than other cultures. And we should want that. I love diversity. That's one thing I talk about on my show too. I am, I promote diversity. I don't want to be a, a Marxist communist, you know, cookie cutter of a, of a culture and cookie cutter of an economy and, and all these things. I want all these differences out there. So we should expect some places to adopt technology and different technology at different rates. And yeah, so that's, that's a beautiful thing. That's what I would have to say about culture and technology. All right. Well, hey, let's get back to the show. We got a lot to talk about. And, you know, we were talking Bitcoin yes. price last week. We were, we were talking about where is Bitcoin price going to be? You had some forecasts, you know, Antel, yep. let's jump right into price. Chris, if you want to bring up the chart, let's do it. Yeah. So slide number one here is last week. And you can see we're kind of flagging and consolidating, but, but RSI was going down. And I had these two arrows on here saying, Hey, look, this, this would make a lot of sense. We need to reset the relative strength index to 50 before we continue up. And then Chris, if you go to the next slide, that, that pretty much is exactly what's happened this week. Price has come down. RSI has come down towards 50. I don't think we're quite done with the consolidation yet. I have these two horizontal red lines on the chart, which I'll put these charts in the write-up to the, the podcast if you guys are listening to this later. But I, I think we could see a fake out to the downside, you know, bears load up on shorts and then we just bounce at that time and go higher. So, I, but I, I do want to point out a couple things about RSI. So we hit 89 and Bitcoin has never hit or gone that high. It never even gets oversold if we aren't going into a new bull market. So I think for sure that most of the metrics I'm looking at say without, with quite high certainty that we are in the beginnings of the new bull market. So any comments Ansel, on the Bitcoin chart? Ansel, yeah. chat BTC on the Dan version said that there's going to be a bear market in equities November, or sorry, February 15th. I saw that. I saw that. There's going to be a crash. Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe that's the fake out. <laughs> we, we, so, so you think that a little bit more, like I was looking at the chart with, uh, with a little bit of, you know, the, the 200 day moving average, the 50 day yeah. moving average, and just kind of like zooming out. And there's a lot of support at 21,000, 20,000 kind of mark. What do you think? Like, do you think we're going to go and test that support before moving back up? It looks like, you know, things are kind of cooling down a little bit. There's a little bit of consolidation here. Last week, we talked about the price probably being at the same levels this week. You know, do we see that that testing of those levels? What do you think about that? I do. I do. I think 21,000 is the 
most logical place for price to go. But I mean, it has a lot of different things. Like you're talking about moving averages. It also has volume by price. So how much volume was traded at a specific level? That is what traders look at a lot in order to place their bids and asks and things out there. So I think that, uh, yeah, 21,000 is most likely. And that that is that kind of bottom horizontal line on the chart is right around 21,000. So if we do get a, a dip down there, that would be a perfect place to bounce in my opinion. I mean, it could go a little bit lower, but who knows? I, 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 the main point is we're in a bull market again. My fellow plebs, come celebrate Bitcoin winter in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from Miami 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off your tickets before prices go up. Plebs, if you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, then you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's a free and a paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts Dylan LeClaire, Dr. Jeff Ross, and Sam Rule break down what's going on in the market so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. Chat BTC also said 100K Bitcoin by the end of the year. So boom. The, the, the chat, Dan version of Chat BTC is bullish. <laughs> What's this on the outline here? It says talk about price bet. Uh, no, we, we, we talked about it. Just what we were talking about is price can be at the same levels this week. And pretty much uh, is. I think it around is. Give or take, yeah. you know, 5%. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But actually, if you pull up that chart one more time, Chris, please slide two. You can see that around January 18th or January 20th, we we're right at the same price level, but RSI is much, much lower. So I think that up back then, it was very unlikely for the rally to continue. But once we get into the middle of this RSI, you know, that indicator has reset. That means it is no longer oversold and it has room energy in in the market psychological energy in the market to go higher so yeah th these are type some of the things that i look at and i'm putting on my new product over there at bitcoinandmarkets.com it's the premium market pro it's a new newsletter that co comes out every week so if you guys want to get more technical analysis more fundamental analysis and all that stuff even talk about geopolitics and culture and the stuff I just was getting into, you can go over to bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash pro 50 to get the first month, 50% off for first month. So check out the premium market pro. All right. That's all I have for Bitcoin. Do you want? Yeah, hey, I, I was going to say, I, I'm going to be subscribing. So I'm excited for the product as well. And, you know, Ansel's analysis, you know, we're blessed to have it here on FedWatch over at Bitcoin Magazine. Jose over on YouTube is saying, isn't the bull run supposed to happen in 2025? Ansel, what's your, what do you, how do you think about cycles? Well, the bull market is supposed to happen, begin before the halving, right? And continue in a deflationary spiral after the halving. No, the halving is set for early next year, I believe, right? Like April, 2024. So we should expect a rally into April, 2024. And then a deflationary spiral that that's the having cycle, but there's also another cycle too. And what I'm kind of looking at right now is the market to repeat like 2019. If you zoom out on the chart and you can see in 2019, we bottomed in the bear market. We went up to about 14,000 and then we went sideways. Of course, COVID happened. So we crashed back down, but without COVID, 
I think the bull market would have continued after you know, about six, nine months of consolidation. So I'm kind of looking at that as a reference point. So if we rally 200% from here and then we go sideways for six months or so and then rally after that, that would fit in with the four-year cycle. So that's how I'm looking at this different cycles in Bitcoin. What are your thoughts on the Bitcoin cycles? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that like historically, and I think uh, Chris pointed this out in the chat, it's like, you know, year and a half after the halving is like the bull run and people consider, you know, the, that year of euphoria or that 18 months of euphoria to be the bull run. But, you know, if you, from a more technical definition, really when you bottom and then start moving up, like that's, that's what Ansel is kind of calling as that we're now out of a bear market and we're now in a bull market, even though it's not, we're not quite at euphoria yet. <laughs> Although with ordinals, it seems like we're hitting some euphoria. I heard of like, you know, like you, you mentioned the nine Bitcoin sale, et cetera, et cetera. There's definitely some euphoria happening. Chris says bear market <laughs> ends at Bitcoin 2023. That's the end of winter. Producer We've been Chris saying that here on the show for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. I do have one more chart though. That's going to lead us into the discussion on credit creation. So this is the Goldman Sachs commodity index. So it takes most big commodities and it, you know, puts them in different weights and you get out with this commodity index. And what you can see here at the bottom was co the COVID crash crashed all the way down. It was like two, 240 or something on this chart. Then we got all the way up to the top and people were saying, Oh, this is inflation. Look at the highest CPI in 40 years okay but it didn't even the commodity index did not even reach the highs from 2008 most commodities did not make new highs in this cycle even though we had cpi at the highest in 40 years did we really have inflation i mean let's we have to look at some of these things a little bit more in detail what is money printing and all of this stuff also you can notice right now on this chart it's kind of tapping on the floor wanting to break down here a little bit. So I can see commodities going lower, which is what a lot of the data is saying right now. All right. So, so the Ansel, yeah, sorry, just to zoom out, you know, how, what does this have to do with the core thesis on FedWatch? And, you know, you yourself call this, yeah. you know, kind of the, the, what the contrarian, you know, your perspective is a contrarian perspective, you know, what, what's the thesis of the show? What does this have to do with that? Well, I mean, just look at this chart. You can see that the prices were transitory and I've stuck with the prices and CPI being transitory the whole time. We have credit-based money. The Fed doesn't print money and deficit spending is not printing of money. Money is created in the process of making a loan. And so these higher prices due to a supply shock was always going to be transitory, always. And I think for me, that is my core thesis when I look at this, look at the global economy and why I am such in the camp of deflation. Deflationary pressure is what is going to rule the end of the dollar system, at least the end of the current dollar system. I'm, I'm in the camp where I think the dollar will be backed by Bitcoin in the near future, like in the next decade or two. So yeah, as the economy just returns to normal after this period of shutting down the global economy and having a massive supply shock and prices going up, the economy is going to return to a post GFC normal of low growth and low inflation. And that means, you know, the prices of commodities 
are not going to go through the roof. CPI is not going to go through the roof. We're going to just kind of grind on into stagnation. Now, to get out of that, of course, we use Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the solution solution to a failing credit-based system. So, yeah, does that sum it up? No, it, it definitely does sum it up. And, you know, we talk about this too, you know, as this kind of old system, like, crumbles really bitcoin is where the future is bitcoin is where there's growth and i I personally like to use the example of you know we we had a centralized allocation of capital with kind of like soviet style communism and then we had market-based uh allocation of capital with western democracy so you know i don't want to call that pure capitalism we never really had that there's always been kind of some meddling there but similar paradigm where you know two systems against each other one clearly will be allocating capital and producing better outcomes than the other. And that's the bull thesis for Bitcoin. Absolutely. Very well said. Okay. But this leads us into this talk about credit creation. So the Federal Reserve came out with their sluice report. And Chris, I'm ready for that. Yep. There we go. So this is the senior loan officer opinion survey on bank lending practices. So if QE is not money printing and government spending is not money printing. What is money printing? It is the process of making a loan or it's done in the process of making a loan. So this survey right here is the money printing survey. You could call the sluice survey, the money printing survey. And we're going to go dive into some of this and see what is going on with, with credit creation right now. So next slide. All right, so here we go. This is what they're saying. Regarding loans to businesses, survey respondents on balance reported tighter standards and weaker demand for commercial and industrial loans to large middle market and small firms over the fourth quarter. Meanwhile, banks reported tighter standards and weaker demand for all commercial real estate loan categories. For loans to households, banks reported that lending standards tightened or remain basically unchanged across all categories of residential real estate loans and demand for these loans weakened. In addition, banks reported tighter standards and weaker demand for home equity lines of credit tightened and demand weakened on balance for credit card, auto and consumer loans. The January sluice survey also included a set of special questions inquiring about banks expect expectations for changes in lending standards, borrower demand, and loan performance over 2023. Banks on balance reported expecting lending standards to tighten, demand to weaken, and loan quality to deteriorate across all loan types. So this is extremely deflationary. Standards are getting tighter and demand is getting weaker. But what has happened to the 10-year? I mean, we can use the 10-year as a proxy here. 10-year has been falling. And this is the interest rate fallacy that I have talked about here on the show quite a bit. The interest rate fallacy is rates go down when credit is tight. You know, so this is exactly what we're seeing. Banks are tightening lending standards. So the people that, you know, might deserve a 10% personal line of credit, they're not going to get it. But somebody that has a great credit score, they're going to get it at 4%. You know, so rates go down as credit standards tighten. But also on the flip side, we also see net demand falling for loans. So why is this deflationary? Because, you know, every, you know, all the time there's money being printed in the process of making a loan. And there's also loans being paid off, which is money destruction and there's defaults. So there's net 
money creation. There's loans being created and loans being paid off. Well, right now, what are we seeing? Loans being created is slowing dramatically. So this is the net credit creation in the economy is slowing dramatically right now. That is literal, literal deflation. And that is what we're seeing. Any comments on that, CK, before we move on? I mean, so to me, this makes sense, right? When when loans are, if if debt is how money is created in a debt-backed system, which is what we're mm -hmm. in, and I think you make the distinction that we're not in a fiat system, we are in a debt system. So that way, the you know the engine of creating debt and loaning and creating those loans needs to be operating at a good clip in order for there to actually be inflation versus deflation. If that's not happening, you 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 characterize it as a debt spiral. So, you know, that's kind of like what's happening here. So there's no minor death spiral. There's a debt death spiral. So do you like, did I characterize that correct Ansel? And are we entering into a debt death spiral in your opinion? Yes. It's all about net money creation. And it's no coincidence that post GFC, we had about one to 2% on GDP growth and one to 2% on interest rates. Because to maintain a credit-based system, you must create money at a fast enough pace to pay off or to service the debt. And if you think about it, this is back from, you know, learning about money early on and learning about fractional reserve banking. So if you take out a loan for, say, $100 and it's a 5% interest rate, so you know, you're going to be paying back, say, $105 in one year. So it's a one-year loan. It's 5% interest. You're going to pay back $105. But if there's only $100 in the whole economy, you can't, pay, you can't pay it off. You have to constantly be expanding the money supply in order to meet at the debt burden, right? So GDP grows at 2% and the interest rates are at 2%. If that gets out of whack, I mean, it's unsustainable. Something's going something's gonna to break. So yeah, that's how I would characterize that. Awesome. Appreciate it. And again, this shit is complicated, right? And and hopefully in a Bitcoin world, we have a much more straightforward paradigm, right? And and that's what 21 million is about. Because I mean, what we're living through right now, it can't be good for asset allocation. It, it's just absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, not even the high priests of the central banks, the high priests of the Fed, you know, they don't even know what's happening. Right. They're they're trying to, you know, steer the ship, you know, looking out the rear view and it's hazy outside. It's foggy outside. So it's not a clear picture at all. It's very different than what's on, you know, a Bitcoin node. And and that's kind of that's the new paradigm. Like that's what, you know, the old way versus the new way. That's that's what it looks like. Absolutely. Great points. All right. I got some charts to visualize what they're talking about here with credit creation. So this first one is banks tightening standards. What percentage of banks? report that they're tightening standards. And you can see that in 2021, they were loosening standards, but now into 2023, they are tightening standards. 40% of banks report that they're tightening standards. And if you look at what kind of company that puts us in, it puts us in a COVID company. It puts us into greatfinancialcrisis.com and back to the SNL crisis. So all of the bad recessionary periods have similar numbers of banks saying that they are tightening standards. Go to the next slide. This is the number of borrowers. This is stronger demand from borrowers. 
and you can see that it is crashing right now. So this is a falling demand that banks are reporting. They're getting falling demand from their borrowers. All right. So those are kind of some good representations. Let's go to the next slide. This is a little bit wordy, but I highlighted the most important things here. So this is talking about, you know, breaking it down, lending to businesses. So questions on commercial and industrial lending. So right, this is a survey that they put out there and banks respond to the survey. So this is talking about questions on commercial and industrial lending. Over the fourth quarter, significant net shares of banks reported having tightened standards on CNI loans, as commercial industrial loans, to firms of all sizes. Tightening was most widely reported for premiums charged on riskier loans. In addition, significant net shares of banks reported having tightened loan covenants and collateralization requirements to firms of all sizes. Moderate net shares of banks reported having tightened the maximum size of credit lines to firms of all sizes. Tightening of the maximum maturity of loans or credit lines was reported by a significant net share of banks for large and middle market firms, while a moderate net share reported this term for small firms. And this is an important line. Similarly, a significant net share of foreign banks reported having tightened standards for commercial and industrial loans over the fourth quarter. Continuing down to the next paragraph, they, they're talking about some different types of loans that say, similarly, a significant share of foreign banks reported weaker demand for commercial and industrial loans over the fourth quarter. So overall, it's not just a U.S. problem. This is a global problem. Of course, we have a global financial system that uses a credit-based dollar, and we're talking about a credit report, a report on lending. So this is I think where the rubber meets the road for this system. And if they're, if this is the thing, they're tightening standards and demand is lowering, there cannot be any other outcome than a deflationary one. Any comments on that? I think we have a few more charts and then we're done with this. No, let's hit the charts. No, nothing to add. Okay. So next one here, this is banks who number of banks tightening standards for commercial real estate. So this is I think this includes apartment buildings, you know, warehouses, uh, retail outlets and stuff. And you can see 60% of banks are tightening standards on commercial real estate. Next, next slide. This is the demand for commercial real estate loans, and it is going the other way. They 60% reporting a negative demand. Next. This is banks tightening standards for consumer loans. And you can see there, it really got loose during 2020 and into 2021. And now it's tightening again. One thing I wanted to say about this was, you know, if money printing is banks making loans, what does this dip in 2020 and 2021 tell you? That means that, you know, they were loosening their standards. Money was looser. And what did we see? We saw the highest inflation or CPI in 40 years. So even on this chart, you can see the standards were the loosest, especially on credit cards in the, in the history of this, this metric. Okay. Next, these were just kind of interesting. So this is tightening standards for residential mortgage loans. And you can see it was a little bit looser back in 2021, but now over the last year, it's really tightened up on the left-hand side of this chart, the right-hand side of the chart it's weakening a little bit. I, I think of the right-hand side, I might be reading this wrong, but I think of the right-hand side more of like a commercial buyer's 
of real estate. So, you know, big businesses that are buying lot, lot houses out there, buying up all the houses. So their demand has actually, or the tightening standards have gotten even tight for them. Next slide. And if you carry that kind of understanding over here, the big one I want to point out is on the right-hand side, you can see that that is the demand for residential mortgage loans, and it is falling off a cliff right now. So that is it, dude. That is all of the charts I have for this sluice data or the credit creation data in the United States. I think it, it, it is telling us that we are headed right into a deflationary landmine. So any overall feedback on this? I mean, I, I think a big question that comes to me, Ansel, and I'm kind of curious what you think. And this might be a question that is on a lot of millennials' minds is, you know, what does this destruction of credit creation, I know you went over a lot of commercial loans, but what does that have to do with potentially the real estate market and other, you know, I know that you think that stocks are going to go up, you know, wh wh what do you think is happening when it comes to real estate as a result of kind of this, you know, tightening up as well as destruction of demand on the loan side? Yeah, well, we did kind of cover that a little bit with the, the real estate demand was falling, but the tightening of standards hadn't really changed all that much. I think that means, so the banks are not tightening standards as much, but demand is falling off. But that is mainly because of interest rates going up, right? So we had the mortgage rates going way high. So when mortgage rates come back down, which I think they will in the next you know year or so, they'll come back down to a more manageable level. People will be able to refinance if they buy at a higher rate, but they'll also be able to, you know, homes will become affordable again. So overall, I don't, yeah, I don't expect a big crash in the real estate market. Most people do. I do expect one in the future, like say 10, 20 years down the road, but we have a long way to go. A lot of people talk about the great financial crisis, you know, was this huge real estate bubble, but it wasn't in the grand scheme of things. Look at Japan, look at China. I mean, these places, Dubai, I mean, these, these real estate markets are two, three, 400% more valued than the U.S. real estate market. I mean, of course, you're going to have different pockets within there. So maybe like Miami Beach might have a bubble going on or, you know, Manhattan or something, you know, th they might have different bubbles going on around the country. But overall, I expect the U.S. real estate market has a long way to go before it has its eventual blow off top. So that's what I think. All right. So, so you think, you know, despite kind of negative out metrics, you know, real estate price, not, not really going to fall, not going to, not going to drop off here. And then lower interest rates adds more fuel to the fire. Everything goes up with, with lower interest rates. And according to you, we're in a bull market. All that correct. All that checkout. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we could see. We have seen real estate prices come down, residential real estate prices. We have seen them come down 10, 20% in a lot of places in the country. It could come down another 10, 20%. But overall, I think if you look five years out, real estate's going to be a lot higher than it is right now. So yeah, that's what I have to say about that. So we, we have a few minutes left. Are we going to cover the CBDC side of the house? Yeah, no, let, let's do it. Let's do it. And I know that we got 15 minutes left here. Okay, I was going to cover a article over on Bitcoin Magazine. There was a great write-up over there this morning. I'll make sure to share it in the show notes. Uh, Shout out Casey Carrillo, great author. He, one of our writers here at Bitcoin Magazine. He did a good, great job on that one. Yeah, and this, I think it got syndicated out there too, so that was great. This one is 
one that I talked about on my own podcast, and it's from Bloomberg. So if you go to the next slide, Chris, please. The headline here is UK steps up planning for digital pound currency backed by BOE. And what I liked about this article in particular was it got a little bit more into the weeds. So let's go through this and pull out a few nuggets. Next slide. The Bank of England and the UK Treasury stepped up work on creating a digital currency to sit alongside physical banknotes and sought to allay concerns that the work could threaten the stability of banks. Officials at the two institutions said a central bank digital currency, which has been unofficially dubbed Britcoin, could present, present significant opportunities for UK consumers and businesses after it's rolled out as early as the second half of the decade. So just stopping right there, the second half of the decade, that's a long way away. A lot can happen before then. Continuing, the moves are part of an effort by central banks around the world to adapt to new forms of payment that work more quickly and smoothly in online transactions. It also is aimed at keeping the government involved in supplying money as consumers shift to card payments backed by companies and not the government. And that last part is talking about Libra. Remember Facebook launching their Libra coin or the pilot program for their Libra coin? That's really what lit the fire under these central banks to start down the CBDC road. I don't even know what's going on with Libra anymore. I don't know if it's been canceled or anything like that, but it's almost like these, you know, they're, they're so far behind. The it's, been fully canceled. <laughs> it's been fully canceled. Fully canceled. Yeah. Change. They rebranded and then canceled. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, these guys are still pursuing a CBDC when the main impetus is now no longer a threat. So anyway, let's continue on the next one. Hey, real quick. First, yeah. it was first, it was, it was blockchain, not Bitcoin, CBDC, not Bitcoin, smart contract platform, not Bitcoin. And now, now we're talking about, you know, CBDCs, not Bitcoin. So, I mean, I think that, I think earlier I meant to say DLC. So we're we're just filing through, you know, the objections as people slowly one at a time realize it's Bitcoin. Is it Bitcoin? Is it? Yeah, it's the arguments keep getting knocked down. So let's go to the next slide. Continuing on with some of these things here. So the remarks brush aside criticism from the House of Lords Economic Affairs Committee which said CBDC is a solution in search of a problem and could lead to further financial exclusion or for vulnerable households who depend on physical cash. So I think we don't hear a lot about these dissenting voices, but look, this is the House of Lords Economic Affairs Committee, and they said this is a, a solution in search of a problem. So that needs to get wider, wider publicity. In the consultation paper due to be published Tuesday, which is what Casey was writing about here. So the BOE and the Treasury will call for opinions and evidence on whether they should build what has officially been termed a digital pound. They haven't made a decision on whether to move forward with the project, but the work is building the case for action. A separate working paper will also attempt to assuage worries that a proposed CBDC could pose a risk to fi financial stability by sucking money out of the banking system. The BOE also said holders will be will not be able to earn interest on their digital coins and there will be a limit on how many they can initially buy. So, I mean, it's very interesting. They're saying this is a problem or a solution in search of a problem. 
They're talking about consultations. They're talking about experimentation and looking if we should build this and stuff. And then they also hit on sucking money out of the, the banking system, which it will because it's replacing commercial banks. So any comments up to this point, CK, or should we keep on rolling? I mean, they're committed to doing it and they're also committing that it's going to suck. So I'm not too worried. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people who are like, yeah, CBDCs are going to really come for Bitcoin. I doubt they're going to ship. They're all in experimentation mode. I think you're going to talk about the digital dollar next, but you know, that's also in experimentation mode, consulting mode, sandbox mode. You know, here's Bitcoin out in the wild. Here's Bitcoin shipping in production. And guess what? Bitcoin, if you want to take risk on your Bitcoin, you can earn interest on it. If you want to hold Bitcoin, you own it. It's private to you. You can make it as private as you want to put the effort into it. And, you know, they're committing that their CBDC is going to suck. No interest. You're going to, there's going to be limitations to what you can buy. You know, they're all about, they can't relieve control. There's the, mm -hmm. the, the innovator's dilemma. You know, they can't get past their, their time in the, 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 in the sun, you know, controlling currency across the globe. And they can't give up the fact that that's now over. Yeah. And I think it's funny right here. They say that they're going to limit the amount that you can buy because it's going to be so freaking popular that people are just going to rush to buy this, you know, Panopticon coin. That's what we should call it is Panopticon coin. No, this has been tried obviously already in Nigeria, in China, in what the Bahamas, right? Or somewhere there in the, the Caribbean. And the CBDC uptake is non-existent. They have to you know, force people to adopt this. So I think it's funny that they put, oh, we're going to limit how much you can buy because we don't want people snapping up too much of this. But okay, let's continue. We got a couple more quotes here from this article. Next slide, please, Chris. The central bank and treasury are likely to face further questions on what exactly would be the point of a digital pound. As for now, at least, consumers would see little difference to just using existing online payment systems. Oh my gosh, no duh, okay? This is not like, you can do the exact same like great technological things with the existing system. I don't know why you would need a CBDC other than to put on all of these other restrictions. So through, though a CBDC would be based on blockchain technology used by speculative cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin, it would be issued by the Bank of England and would be backed by sterling. What backs sterling? Becoming interchangeable with cash and bank deposits. Quote, a digital pound would provide a new way to pay, help businesses, maintain trust in money, and better protect financial stability, BOE Governor Andrew Bailey said. Now, but remember, he's saying this, that it's going to help businesses maintain trust and all this stuff, but they don't even know the design. Like they're still reaching out and seeing if they should build this. I mean, if it was going to do this, of course they would build it. But no, it's just a... Uh, you know, rhetoric out there. They're trying to make a case for this. However, quote, however, there are a number of implications which our technical work will need to carefully consider. This consultation and the further work the bank will do will be the foundation for what would be a profound decision for the country on the way we use money. Many experts have yet to be convinced of the value of a CBDC. Former BOE Governor Lord Mervyn King has called the Britcoin project a solution without a problem. Lawmakers on the House of Lords Economic Affairs Committee found in the report last year that there is no convincing case for launching a CBDC in the UK. Next slide, and I'm almost done here. 
So a decision on whether to push ahead with Bitcoin will likely be made around the middle of the decade. If the project does proceed, the CBDC could launch around 2030. I mean, that's so far in the future. Neither the Treasury nor the bank has yet produced a forecast of what it might cost to build Bitcoin, but it is likely to be a substantial sum. So that is it, CK. I mean, these guys, they're crazy. Bitcoin. Hey, Bitcoin sounds like Bitcoin. Yes. We win again. Off that too. <laughs> we win again. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's all I have for today, CK. Do you have any closing things you want to talk about? Oh, man. This is a good show. A lot of good stuff here, y'all. Again, I highly recommend go check out what Ansel is doing, Bitcoin and Markets, coinmarkets.com. What's the name of your new your new paid tier? Uh, the bit, Yeah, go for it. Pre- Premium Market Pro. Use bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash pro50 to get 50% off your first month. I appreciate you guys supporting my work. Appreciate my Telegram community, t.me forward slash Bitcoin and Markets. You can join that. We're talking about Bitcoin and macro all day long. And yeah. Y'all, we come in at you every Thursday, 1230 Eastern. What is that? 930 Pacific. We're talking macro. We're talking Bitcoin. Ansel is keeping us all at the tip of the spear when it comes to macro. And this show is the only macro show that covers everything in macro as well as with a Bitcoin lens. And we don't let any of the outside narratives influence what we're talking about. Ansel's looking in the data and we're trying to unpack what is actually happening in the Bitcoin market. I'm CK. I am going to be at Bitcoin 23. Ticket prices are going up tomorrow. So get your tickets today. BM live to save 10% off. What is up, audio listeners? Thank you for enjoying another episode of FedWatch. Down in the show notes, you will find all the appropriate links to our social media, the original version of this podcast, and community links. Also, check out BitcoinAndMarkets.com, where I put out a free weekly newsletter every Friday. And there you can also help support the show by signing up to become a paid member. See you next time. My fellow plebs, come celebrate Bitcoin winner in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from Miami 18th to 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLive to get 10% off your tickets before prices go up. Magazine time, y'all. Bitcoin is for everyone, lefties, righties, and the rejectors of the false dichotomy alike. And that is why the newest Bitcoin magazine print edition is called the Orange Party Issue. It features articles by President Naib Bukele, Jeff Dice, Natalie Smolinski, Eric Kaysen, Max Kaiser, and Jimmy Song. Get your copy from the local Barnes & Noble bookstore or from the Bitcoin Magazine store at bitcoinmagazine.com and use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off your annual subscription today. Plebs, if you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, then you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's a free and a paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts Dylan LeClaire, Dr. Jeff Ross, and Sam Rule break down what's going on in the market so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com.